right after the international news. South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Thursday, July 28, 2022. The spokesperson for the UN mission in South Sudan is calling on armed groups in the country to work for peace. This is the only way to break the cycles of violence and revenge killings and pave the way towards durable and sustainable peace. And the South Sudan who just completed his fellowship in the United States says he has learned new ways for fixing problems in his country. I, I know not all the things that we see around here can, can be copied and things committed on, but there are certain specific things. Honestly, on the issue of the decentralization. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The South Sudan Civil Society Alliance is calling on the partners in the Transitional Government of National Unity to define dates and program for conducting elections as required by the Revitalized Peace Agreement. The chairperson of the alliance, Akwoch Ajang, says extending the transitional period without setting dates for conducting elections could mean the parties to the agreement are doing what he calls buying time to stay in power. For VOA News, Waka Simon Wudu reports from Juba. Addressing the nation on South Sudan's 11th independence anniversary earlier this month, President Salva Kiir said there are plans to draw a new roadmap aimed at smoothly ending the transitional period but did not elaborate. Two weeks ago, a team of four senior government officials submitted a proposed roadmap to the president for completing remaining tasks in the 2018 peace deal. President Kir said the draft proposal is expected to guide the country towards the end of the transitional period and pave the way for peaceful and credible elections. This week, some local media houses reported that Kir and First Vice President Riyak Machar agreed to extend the transitional period, but the government has not issued an official statement on extending the mandate of the unity government. Yesterday, the South Sudan Civil Society Alliance said the parties to the peace deal need to clearly outline a framework which includes clear dates for conducting elections if the transitional period is extended. Akwoch Ajang, chairperson of the South Sudan Civil Society Alliance, addressed the reporters in Juba on behalf of his colleagues on Wednesday. We are saying you cannot extend this government without telling us exactly when are you going to conduct election? Because it, could, it cannot be a scenario of transition after transition. We have to have a date for the election. This is very important our citizens to know. Ajang says any roadmap that fails to state when elections will be held is nothing more than a political move by leaders to blindfold the public and continue to stay in office. He called on citizens to get involved and tell the parties what the South Sudanese people want, which is the restoration of peace and stability. It is your duty as citizens of this country to call for your rights, the rights for election, the right to choose the politician that you believe in, in her capacity or in his capacity to deliver services 
to this country, to govern this state. So this is very crucial and very important for our citizens to follow. It is your duty to do it. If you don't, if you don't, they are not going to conduct an election. With seven months left for the expiration of the transitional period, the signatories of the 2018 peace agreement are yet to set dates for the upcoming elections due in December. Earlier this month, the National Assembly passed the Controversial Political Parties Act, which is meant to guide the parties towards holding elections. The Elections Act, which is aimed at guiding the conduct of elections, is yet to be amended and ratified by Parliament. The peace deal requires that the parties shall conduct elections two months before the end of the transitional period, which expires in February 2023. Ajang says it's time for South Sudanese to push efforts to have an accountable government that delivers services such as security, education, and health care. For us, we have to have a social contract by giving our rights to individuals that we believe they are responsible to deliver services. And in return, when we elect you, whether commissioner, whether governor or MP or the president, we expect you to deliver services to the people of South Sudan, including security, roads, and all the services that we need. A number of important tasks that could ensure the conduct of free and fair elections, such as conducting a population census and implementing security arrangements, remain far behind schedule. For VOA News, I'm working Simon Wudo in Juba. The United Nations mission in South Sudan says it is concerned about the ongoing fighting in Mayom County of Unity State. The Onmis spokesperson, Linda Tom, appeals to all armed groups across the country to put down their weapons and join peace efforts. Authorities in Unity State say government forces killed 10 rebels of the South Sudan People's Army on Wednesday. For VOA News, Dengai Deng reports from Juba. Unity State Security Advisor Steven Salam says government forces launched military operations targeting bases of the rebel South Sudan People's Army in Mayom County and killed at least 10 rebel fighters. The forces which were being sent by uh, the government to follow the attackers and then they formed them in place called Bonwil and they followed them. Yeah, there are, uh, uh, there are casualties from uh, the side of the uh, uh, enemy. Ten were killed in the side of rebel. And now in the side of government, only four, four soldiers were killed. Salam says government forces are continuing to pursue rebel fighters in all of the hideouts around Unity State. The forces are still striking them where they go to. The residents inside of Mijongnon, even in the, in the Twitch, is a, a county, and the government is still talking to them. Those who run to, uh, to the government side, because Twitch is in the government side, not the rebel place. If they run there, we have a need of them to send them back to the United States. Luke Gatiak, press secretary in the office of South Sudan People's Army leader, Gerald Stephen Boy, confirms government forces attacked the rebel group's positions, but disputes the number of rebel fighters killed. 
The regime forces and its alliance militias launched a coordinated attack from both Baran Ghazal and Unity State uh, yesterday on our location at a place called Manyang, the border of Twitch County, Baran Ghazal, and Mayam County, Unity State. On our side, uh, uh, seven people got killed and five wounded. On regime side, we found 12 dead on the ground, including one major and one captain. When Mr. Spokesperson Linda Tong condemns the ongoing fighting in Mayom County. We are concerned about reports of continued violence in Mayom County, where the situation continues to be tense and unpredictable. UNMIS will continue to monitor the situation closely in line with our mandate to protect civilians and build durable peace. Tom has called on all armed groups to lay down their weapons and join peace efforts. This is the only way to break the cycles of violence and revenge killings and pave the way towards durable and sustainable peace. Government interventions and conflict hotspots are also needed to de-escalate violence. And in the months ahead, we also call on all parties to demonstrate a sense of urgency and political will to take all necessary steps to fully implement the peace agreement. Fighting erupted in Unity State last week when a new group of rebels loyal to renegade General Stephen Boy of the South Sudan People's Army attacked Mayom County headquarters, killing Commissioner James Joel Galwak and 11 others. Gerald Boy told this program the attack was motivated by revenge after a pro-government militia under the command of the late Galwak attacked the opposition in a place called Bong. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Bor. A fellow with the Young African Leaders Initiative, or YALI, who just completed the Mandela Washington Fellowship, says he has identified issues in his community and would want to fix them once he returns home. Lubang Alex tells David Monodanga about lessons learned while attending his fellowship at the University of Colorado. The citizens themselves expect the government to be providing services to them. If you go to the health sector, most of our health facilities are supported by international organizations. Uh, most of our uh, schools are supported by international organizations. And infrastructure. You are here in USA for your fellowship. Can you tell me what you expected as compared to what is on the ground? I've really learned a lot, uh, most especially uh, the system, the U.S. system of governance, the powers of the government. And we also learn about the structure and the content of the U.S. constitution. And uh, we also learn about the relationship between the government and the government. The relationship between the government and the citizen. So what did you learn about those two relationships? Uh, the former president of the United States of America, uh, Thomas Jefferson, said the purpose of the government is to enable the people in the nation to live in safety and happiness. So that means the government is supposed to be providing service to the people, is supposed to be protecting the people. Here, the relationship between the government and the people is really very strong. I, I remember one of the elected officials saying, they are so close to the people, they are so close to the voters, to the voters, I mean. Uh, there are some instances where the voters can even come to their offices to ask the questions. And honestly, in the other part of the world, you will never see even a single voter entering an office of uh, an elected official to ask the questions. Okay, last time, promise us this. 
Why is it not done? Why is it not implementing? So you when you say in other parts of the world, who are you referring to exactly? Yeah, yeah honestly, mostly in African democracy. You know, in Africa, once someone is elected to an office, he starts to barricade himself with the security operatives where you can't even come close to their vehicles, you can't even come close to their offices because they just assume that you are a threat. Though you as a voter, you, you, you came with the purpose of asking uh, these elected officials on issues pertaining maybe the development of the community, maybe things that they promised when they were campaigning and they didn't fulfill. All this stuff that you have learned, how are you going to implement or apply this knowledge and skills when you go back home to South Sudan? There are three things that I've really identified in the community that uh, are really so urgent. One, if you see the report of uh, UNICEF about uh, the number of uh, children that are out of school, the report is stated that there are 2.8 million children that are out of school, which is approximately 70%. And um, the largest group uh, of these out-of-school uh, children are girls. And they made some poverty, child marriage, cultural and religious uh, views. Uh, all uh, these uh, factors are hindering girls' education. It's putting their, their future at risk and also the future of the country. What do you think should be done to get back these children to school, especially so, the girls? Uh, that's the big question that I ask myself. And uh, I came up with some strategies, which I don't think is necessary for me to help right to, to, to tell you now. So how do you think disseminating power to the local authorities, like the chiefs and county headmans, will help solve some of South Sudan's problems? Very good question. Um, you know, one amazing thing that I've, I've seen here, in all levels of the government, even in the grassroots, people are elected. The community leaders are elected. Coming to the counties, the commissioners are elected. And the, the county has its mini parliament, a parliament where they sit and they deliberate on issues uh, pertaining development, regulations. They, come also, they, they, they also have a legislature where they come with their own laws governing their own county. It's really so amazing. And uh, I think there are certain things that we can honestly copy from this experience and, and implement back home. I know not all the things that we see around here can can be copied and be implemented home, but there are certain specific things. Honestly, on the issue of the decentralization, I have this feeling that, okay, when the local governments are being empowered, eh, when you give them the power to make decisions, to really bring development, uh, then when everything is concentrated at the, uh, the central government, that's Lubang Alex, a fellow with the Young African Leaders Initiative, or YALI, who just completed the Mandela Washington Fellowship here in the United States. He was speaking to David Monodanga. Listening to South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, some Sudanese doctors treat eye diseases in the South Sudan's capital Juba. Find out why after the break. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. 
Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. On this World Hepatitis Day, some health workers in South Sudan say they have carried out mass vaccination campaign in response to an outbreak of hepatitis E in a camp for internal displaced persons in the Unity State Capital, Bantu. The vaccination exercise was carried out with support from Medicines and Frontiers, or MSF. For VOA News, Dingma God reports from Juba. Health officials say since July 2021, medical workers at the Bentiu Hospital have confirmed 759 patients with hepatitis E, 17 of whom have died. A 22-year-old woman at the Bentiu IDP camp who prefers to be identified only as Nyamal to protect her privacy says when she learned she had hepatitis E, she met with MSF doctors who treated her symptoms. I started experiencing high body temperature and I was feeling so much pain all over my body. My urine and my eyes turned yellow. When I went to MSF, I told the doctor the signs and symptoms I was having and they immediately took me to the lab for testing. When my results came back, they found I was positive for hepatitis E. Dr. John Rumunu, Director General for Preventive Health Services at the National Health Ministry, says the ministry began the vaccination campaign because of the availability of the vaccine. This is the first of uh, its kind to uh, implement uh, hepatitis E vaccine in humanitarian setting. And um, uh, this serves as an example for... uh, uh, replication to similar settings in other places and uh, it is our hope that this is going to reduce uh, the number of cases uh, and death. Dr. Rimuno says the Bentiu IDP camp has seen a high number of hepatitis E cases due to flooding and poor sanitation. Bentiu is one of the areas affected by flood in South Sudan Also, it is characterized by high number of displaced people. And um, there is uh, also um, issues related to water and sanitation. Hepatitis E virus uh, is um, a fecal oral uh, transmission. Uh, People get it when they drink or eat food contaminated with uh, fecal matter. Large-scale outbreaks typically occur when water and sanitation are inadequate, such as in mass displacement camps. There is no specific treatment for hepatitis E, which has a higher fatality rate among pregnant women. It also increases the risk of spontaneous abortions and stillbirth. Dr. Monica Rule is the MSF Medical Director in South Sudan. Most vulnerable are pregnant women. Pregnant women, when they are infected and develop the disease they have a chance one on each four to die. So 25% of pregnant women that become sick, they, they, they may die, mostly if they are infected in the, in the third trimester. Dr. Rule says the fight against hepatitis E has been long and frustrating. She says 
Over the last two decades, MSF has been responding to hepatitis E outbreaks in the displacement camps, trying to control the disease in challenging conditions. Dr. Rule says health workers will continue reporting on the results of the vaccination campaign. She says while other outbreak control measures are necessary, like improved water and sanitation services, health officials believe the vaccination campaign is an important step towards reducing hepatitis E outbreaks in the future. What I would expect with this experience is that um, after we monitor and we report the results, uh, both in terms of coverage but also in terms of impact, that some of the barriers to use the vaccine as a public health tool will be addressed and lifted. In March and April, MSF and South Sudan's Ministry of Health carried out the first two rounds of the vaccination campaign. About 25,000 people, including pregnant women, have received the vaccine. A third and final round will be conducted in October this year. World Hepatitis Day falls on July 28th each year and aims to raise awareness on the global burden of viral hepatitis and to influence real change. This year, the theme for World Hepatitis Day is I Can't Wait. A person dies every 30 seconds from a hepatitis-related illness, according to the MSF. Bentiu is the largest displaced person camp in South Sudan, created in 2014 at the height of the war. Today, approximately 112,000 people reside there, many having fled recent violence and flooding. For VOA News, I am Ding Magot in Juba. Still on Health Matters, a team of Sudanese doctors have conducted more than 400 eye surgeries in the South Sudan's capital, Juba, over the past week. The free eye treatment clinic was sponsored by a Saudi-based King Suleiman Humanitarian Aid and Relief Center. The coordinator for the visiting Sudanese doctors say his team performed surgeries to remove cataracts from the patient's eyes. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayer reports from Juba. Clothed in green surgery theater attire, several South Sudanese eye patients lie on beds at the ophthalmology operation ward at Juba Teaching Hospital. A team of 19 Sudanese eye surgeons and paramedics wearing sky blue afrons are preparing surgical tools to conduct operations on dozens of patients on the second floor balcony of a large Chinese built three-story building. 61-year-old Reverend Peter Port is next in line to enter the operation theater. When I heard eye doctors were coming, I report myself for treatment and now I will be able to go for eye operations. The disease started with one eye in 2009, but now it has affected the other eye also. I am able to walk alone, but from 2019, I have been having difficulties in seeing things. I used to read and I hope I will be able to do work well after the surgery. South Sudanese David Rieth says he lost his job when he developed eye problem in 2010. With the Sudanese eye doctors in the country, Rieth says he hopes he will be able to find relief and return to work. 
When there is something painful in your body, you will not be able to walk or run around trying to fulfill your responsibilities because in human life, eyes are the one in front. When I succeed from here, I will be able to find something to do and hopefully return to my workplace. Riyadh and others here say they have tried to receive treatment at South Sudan's one and only eye facility, the Blue Eye Center in Juba, but say the center lacks proper medical services and equipment. Dr. Mohamed Hussein, chem coordinator for the visiting Sudanese eye clinic, says doctors performed surgery on 460 persons over the past few days. We come here for the cataract surgery. We uh, see about uh, 5,000 uh, persons, and from this, selected about 500 cataract surgery. Uh, so we now, we did about uh, 460 surgery. So, and why we, we gave them about uh, 2,000 glasses. A cataract is a clouding of the normally clear lens of the eye. Cataract surgery is a quick painless eye surgery, which usually involves removing a cloudy lens, causing vision problems and replacing it with an artificial lens. Hussein says the free eye treatment is sponsored by a donation from the Saudi-based King Suleiman Humanitarian Aid and Relief Center in collaboration with Al-Bashar International Foundation, a non-profit NGO established in 1990 that is focused on preventing blindness. Many South Sudanese with eye diseases who cannot afford it travel to Khartoum to seek eye treatment services. Hossein says South Sudanese with other eye defects will still travel to Khartoum. There a special unit for, for uh, retinal surgery, for corneal surgery, for glaucoma, for orbit, for squint, or other unit for the discipline for the ophthalmology. Dr. Albino Nyibong, Director for Eye Care Services at the South Sudan Ministry of Health, says the country cannot afford to run sustainable eye services. Our eye care services in South Sudan is just, we can say, within Juba, where you can get access to surgical uh, services. The states are lacking these services due to... Uh, you know, I department actually consume a lot of funding in terms of buying equipment, in terms of buying consumable, and uh, we usually depend on donation because the cost is so huge. And uh, as you know, we are in crisis, economic crisis. Aside from the cost, Director Nyibong says South Sudan also lacks eye doctors. He says South Sudan has only six active ophthalmologists who he says are not enough to serve the huge demand for eye services across the country. Nuradin Simon, executive director for the Africa Revitalized Organization for Relief and Development, says his organization initiated the support following a huge demand for eye services in South Sudan. And this is what we need because our people in South Sudan to get services like this. And I call upon the National Humanitarian Organization in South Sudan to have such passion to offer services because South Sudanese are in need of such services. Later this week, 
The Sudanese eye doctors will travel to Western Baral Ghazali State to operate on people in WoW. For VOA News, I'm Anyang David Mayor in Juba. That's all we prepared for you this past day. We now leave you with the Freedom Boys singing in a Choli language. Freedom Boys singing in Acholi. I'm your host, John Tanzai in Washington. Thanks for allowing us into your home, vehicle, and on your phone. Join us again tomorrow evening for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.